picking up my phone and hearing something like this. Hey, Mike, it's Robin Yount calling. Never gets old. Robin Yount spent his entire 20-year career in a Milwaukee Brewers uniform. He was a three-time All-Star, two-time AL MVP, Gold Glove winner, three-time Silver Slugger, and a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. If you're a Brewers fan, you'll never forget that magical 1982 season. You're part of the team sitting in the stands. Come see what's brewing. The Milwaukee Brewers. Harvey's wall bangers led by Robin Yount, Gorman Thomas, Cecil Cooper, Paul Molitor, Ted Simmons, Caldwell, Vukovic, Gantner, Raleigh Fingers, Don Sutton. The Brewers and the Orioles faced each other at Memorial Stadium in Baltimore in the final game of the 1982 season. After 161 games played, they were deadlocked. And who can forget what Robin Yount did against future Hall of Famer Jim Palmer in his first two at-bats of that game. With one out in the top of the first. In the air to right, Dwyer to the corner, to the wall. Home run for Robin Yount lifted to the off-field, and the Brewers break on top. Well, as we look at this home run again, it's a vivid evidence of why Yount is so highly regarded for the MVP. His power is to all fields. And then Robin Yount was back at the plate, facing Palmer with one out in the top of the third. That ball is well hit, deep left field. It's gone, and Robin Yount has hit successive home runs off Jim Palmer, and Milwaukee leads three to nothing. That was Robin Yount. Absolutely clutch. And that season in particular, he was on a whole other level. And he has hit the home runs in the very manner we talked about. One to right field, the opposite field. This one deep up the left center alley. Extraordinary power for a shortstop. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 5 of the Lost Ballparks Podcast. This is Harry Carey with Jack Buck and Jerry Gross from the beautiful new Bush Memorial Stadium. And boy, I tell you, this is some sight. The crowd still is coming in. The bleacher area in center field almost filled. And the indication is that it's going to be a fine Friday night crowd here at the Polo Grounds. We're underway in the first of a Twilight Doubleheader at Tiger Stadium. Greetings, baseball fans. This is Mel Allen greeting you from Yankee Stadium in New York City. Yep, and I'm Schaefer Brewing Company. Very happy to be pouring it to you from Ebbets Field tonight. And there should be a humdinger. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Al Helfer with Art Gleason bringing you Mutual's Game of the Day from Sunny Shy Park in the city of Philadelphia. Just the start of things. So full of a comfortable chair. If you want to take your shoes off, go ahead. Wiggle your toes, and we hope you'll have a cold shave for a two throughout the evening. Robert Yount, how are you? I'm good. Yourself? Doing great. Hey, listen, thanks so much for doing this. I've had so many Brewers fans send me messages over the last few seasons of the Lost Ballparks podcast, wondering when you're going to come on, wanting you to be on the podcast. So on behalf of all of them, thank you for sharing a few minutes with us. It's my pleasure. So Ozzie Smith was on the premiere episode of this season of the Lost Ballparks podcast. It was a few weeks ago, and he talked about the rivalry between your high school and his. We were we were pretty good. We had a lot of good players. We we never could beat Robin Yount. Yeah. He said something about your high school had their number. Do you remember playing against him at Eddie Murray? You know, in all honesty, I remember playing against them. They both went to Locke High School, and... They, that was an inner city school, and we were out in the valley. You were at Taft High School, right? Yeah. We didn't play them regularly, you know, but it was always, it was a special uh, opportunity to go into the inner city and 
play those guys and they were always really good. And we did, I think we met up actually more than once uh, for some reason. I think maybe we went down there and they may have come out to the valley and played us once. We played in the city playoffs or something. It's really amazing when you think about it that you essentially went right from Taft High School to to the major leagues. I mean, you spent, I think, 60-some games in Newark and single A. But by the time you were 18, you were in the big leagues. And Ozzie Smith at the time was just trying to get a scholarship to college out of high school. Well, he ended up going to college, I think, initially to San Luis Obispo. And when I was in high school, I was recruited to three colleges, one being Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. So I guess if you read the tea leaves, we could have actually been there at the same time, which would have been interesting. I don't know. I might have been a center fielder or something to start with because I sure as heck couldn't play shortstop like he could. Yeah, who knows whether what would have happened had I got a gun to Cal Poly and had to fight with Ozzy for the shortstop job. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, if you stop and think about it, you decided to go pro at age 18. But if you had accepted a scholarship to Cal Poly, what might have happened to you? What might have happened to Ozzy? I mean, who knows? It's pretty interesting. OK, so, Robin, let's go back in time to your first major league game. When and where? Did you attend your first Major League Baseball game, and um, what do you remember about that day? Well, I will. I have a pretty good recollection, uh, believe it or not, of my first uh, game at a Major League field. But I think to make the story better, I should preface it by going back to my Little League days. Pro- no, I should say prior to my Little League days, when... You know, I used to play wiffle ball in the backyard or out in the street with the neighborhood kids. And occasionally we would get to go down to the Little League field and I'd get to play maybe some sort of pickup game with my brother uh, or brothers at a, at a real field that had fences and dugouts. And what I remember, too, is the advertising on the outfield fences, the local advertising, the billboards on the fences. So for some reason that stood out in my mind. Now take that as a little kid that the, for whatever reason, the advertising on the outfield fences stands out to me like I had made it. Right. Uh, So now whether it, it was roughly around that time, it would have been the the early 60s. So I would have been six, seven, eight years old. It was before I had signed, you know, back in those days, we didn't sign up for organized Little League until we were nine years old. Today, they sign them up at birth, I think. But, <laughs> but, but anyhow, I was still waiting to play my first Little League uh, organized baseball on that field that my brothers got to play on. So one particular summer vacation, we lived in Southern California at the time, but my father had grown up in Ohio. And this one particular summer, we had gone back to visit my grandparents in Dayton, Ohio. Well, my grandparents were huge Cincinnati Reds fans. And while we were back there during that trip to see my grandparents, my grandfather took us to a Cincinnati Reds game 
in Old Crosley Field. A big crowd building up here at Crosley Field tonight. That would have been the first professional major league, whatever you want to call it, game stadium that I had ever seen and been to in person. And how old would you have been, do you think, at that time? I would have been, it was before nine years old for sure, because I wasn't playing organized Little League yet. My guess is I'm somewhere between in the six, seven, eight-year-old range. But I can still specifically remember, I can't tell you a player on the team, anything about the game itself, what the players looked like, any of that. But what I distinctly remember was walking down the aisle behind the first base dugout. Wherever we were sitting, however many rows back behind the first base dugout, walking down the aisle and looking out at this field. And I had never seen an outfield fence, or in in that time it was probably a wall, as high as it had been. Now, it wasn't the green monster in Fenway by, by any means, but it was a high wall, and it had all this advertising all the way around, double-deck billboards of whatever it may have said. A line drive to the scoreboard in left field. Darren Johnson races back, reaches up at the boards, collides, but holds on, falling out. Fine catch by Johnson. On the dead move, he caught the ball within a step and a half of the scoreboard. After making the catch, he seemed to put himself into soft power glide and lay up against the board. For some reason, it stood out in my mind clearly to this day. And I remembered what a big deal it was in Little League to go and play on a field that had a fence with advertising on the fences. Well, the first major league field I ever saw. That's what I remember. All this advertising on this big, huge left field wall and a scoreboard, you know, as, 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 as wide as the wall itself. And like I said, I couldn't tell you a thing about the game, the players or anything else, but I can see that wall as if I was there yesterday. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Yeah, I love that story. And I love Crosley Field. So thanks so much for sharing that with us. So the two things that Brewer fans ask about or have specifically requested that I ask you about County Stadium and the 1982 season. In 1982, you hit 331 with 29 home runs. You won the AL MVP, the Gold Glove, and led the Brewers to their first World Series appearance. The one-two pitch, ball lined to Yount, it's short, he throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! They have defeated the California Angels! Three games to two! They're going to the World Series! Milwaukee came up short in that series, but it is a year that no one in Wisconsin will ever forget with so many great days and nights spent at County Stadium. What made that ballpark so special to so many, do you think? Well, it's like it's like anything that it was home, right? It was it was where I played 20 years and a lot of great players, Warren Spahn, Henry Aaron, uh, players like that played before we got there. It was home. And there's a lot of memories there, a lot of opening days. Opening day at County Stadium, Brewer style. The one World Series I was able to play in, we got to play in 
in County Stadium and then in St. Louis. So I know that uh, Bernie the Brewer had his chalet, beer barrel, and slide out in the centerfield bleachers at County Stadium and, of course, would lead the crowd in the seventh inning stretch, a County Stadium tradition of singing Roll Out the Barrel. By the way, do you still remember the, the lyrics for that? Uh, yeah, but don't. I'm not going to sing it for you. I can promise you that. <laughs> no, of course not. I would, I, I would not ask you to sing that song. Yeah, well, we still, Bernie Brewer is still part of the Brewers. We have a, his home is a keg and he still slides down the slide for home runs in our new uh, uh, retractable roof stadium in Milwaukee. So that kind of stuff has never left the tradition of the Brewers. So, and that's a good thing, you know, there's, there's, and neither has tailgating. Tailgating was, uh, you know, the highlight of the fans. They, they looked forward to coming an hour before the game and, and, you know, cooking out in the parking lot. And, you know, those were those were all the things that Mr. Selig wanted to uh, incorporate when they built the new stadium, because there was a there was a quite a bit of a debate whether the new stadium after after County Stadium should end up downtown or on the same, basically the same site that County Stadium was on. And the reason that uh, it, it ended up back where County Stadium was, was in all honesty, was because the fans overwhelmingly uh, voted for having enough parking for tailgating, and uh, and that's it, it's still the I think the, the the I think the fans look forward to the tailgating as much as they do the game itself. Yeah, well, I mean it's it's Milwaukee. <laughs> come on, okay. So the movie Major League, even though it was about the Cleveland Indians, it was filmed at County Stadium in Milwaukee in the late 1980s. Oh! Again, everybody, Harry Doyle here, welcoming all you friends of the feather to another season of Indians baseball. A lot of new faces in Chief Wahoo's tribe this year as they take on the defending American League champs, the New York Yankees. And hopefully we'll have some of the names that go with those faces before their first at-bat. Anyway, listen to the roar of the crowd as the Indians take the field. Yes, sir. They love this club here in Cleveland. There were many nights after you guys would finish a game that Charlie Sheen, Wesley Snipes, and the rest of the cast would walk on the field in full Indians uniform to begin shooting. Do you remember passing them in the clubhouse or on the field or sticking around to watch them film the movie? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. They were they were around all the time. They were waiting for our game to end so that they could go out and, and film. They, they filmed throughout the night. Uh, after our game. So there were there were nights you'd come back after the game and walk into the clubhouse and some of those guys would be hanging out. If we won, they were all there laughing and celebrating with us. But uh, you didn't see them much after a loss. That was, you know, pretty quiet clubhouse then. But no, they were around and it was a lot of fun to meet those guys. And obviously our, our beloved, most famous announcer, Bob Uecker, was certainly a big part of that. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. Still one of my close friends today. And how special to have Uke call your 3,000th hit on September 9th, 1992 at County Stadium. Back in against Mesa, who is working from the windup. The 0-1 pitch. Swings, and there it is! A base hit in the right center. He's done it. 3,000 for Robin. Well, if I could handpick somebody, <laughs> there there wouldn't have been anybody I would have even considered before before Bob. He is literally 
an icon in Wisconsin, and he, he's the most famous person, I think, in, in Wisconsin history, to be honest with you. And I was just fortunate enough to become friends with him. And believe it or not, <laughs> he, he took me under his wing early on in my career. And you could only imagine some of the things that we did throughout the 20 years uh, that I played there. And I think my greatest accomplishment in baseball was surviving 20 years uh, under the tutelage of Bob Buford. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're probably right. By the way, you were the third youngest in baseball history to reach 3,000 hits, only behind Ty Cobb and Hank Aaron. Well, I was fortunate to get an early start. <laughs> you know, I was, there's a lot to say about being in the right place at the right time. I had the opportunity to play at, at 18 years old in the major leagues for the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, and I think I think if I'm if I'm not mistaken, you are the last major league player to hit a home run at age 18. I, I doubt it. I don't. You know, there's been some young guys and that obviously hit a lot more home runs. Now I did hit one fairly early in my career. Yeah. I didn't hit very many early on, but uh, I might have hit one in the first week or so. Of, uh, but that was one of the three I think I hit all year and when I was 18. But uh, I, I think there are guys younger that have hit home runs than, than I. But uh, either way, I was, I was lucky enough to get a chance when I was very young. And it really worked out in the long run. I had my growing pains, too, like anybody else. Sometimes it was on-the-job training, but that's okay. It, it, in, the, in the long run, it all worked out fine. There's an image in most baseball fans. Uh, minds that I don't think they will ever forget. And that is an image of Hank Aaron running around the bases after hitting an Al Downing fastball into the seats at Fulton County Stadium for home run number 715, breaking Babe Ruth's all-time home run record. What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron, who was met at home plate not only by every member of the Braves, but by his father and mother. He threw his arms around his father... And as he left the home plate area, his mother came running across the grass, threw her arms around his neck, kissed him for all she was worth. And I'm sure it's still a highlight for you. July 20th, 1976 at County Stadium in Milwaukee at age 20, you're in the lineup playing alongside Hank Aaron when he hit number 755. It was the final home run of his historic career. What do you remember about that home run? It was incredible. He actually became a teammate of uh, of ours. He came back to Milwaukee. I think it was in 75. He played his last two years as a brewer, 75, 76. And, and that was, you know, for I was 19 and 20, the two years I got to play with him. And between Bob Euchre and Henry Aaron, that's, that's two pretty good guys to, to teach you the ropes of the, of, of the major leagues. And although Henry... Henry really didn't teach me how to play the game itself, like hold your hands here when you're hitting and keep your weight like this and that. But the way he went around about his business, you know, at the time, arguably the greatest player that had ever played the game. And I watched this man day in and day out, 
treat everybody with respect. He played the game for one reason and one reason alone, and that was to try to help his team win the game. And he couldn't have been a better example for me as a young player to watch that uh, in my early days of my career. Well, honestly, that sounds a whole lot like someone else. Robin Yount. No, no, I'm serious. On behalf of all of us who grew up watching you play, thank you for showing us the way. Robin, look, I really, I really appreciate the time. Thank you for making some space for us today. Okay, Mike. And, uh, and, and thank you for, for taking us back to Crosley Field, to your game in the early 60s, to your first baseball game. Yeah, and the fact that I can still picture it. Like I say, I don't remember much about the game or anything about the game itself. But man, that outfield wall stands out like I saw it yesterday. Great, great memories. And glad that we could help preserve them here for generations to come. Thank you, Robin. All the best to you and your family. And you, and the same to you, Mike. Thank you. How many of you remember April 15th, 1987? There were just over 11,000 fans in the stands that day at Memorial Stadium. Milwaukee pitcher Juan Nieves took a no-hitter into the ninth. With two outs, future Hall of Famer Eddie Murray stepped up to the plate. Ripken on first with two outs in the ninth. The Brewers lead 7-0. Hit in the air. Yount. Makes a great catch, and Juan Nieves has thrown the first no-hitter in Milwaukee Brewer history. What else can happen to this team? Juan Nieves has no-hit the Baltimore Orioles on a great game-ending catch by Robin Yount. Go to YouTube and watch that catch today. Quintessential Robin Yount. Clutch at the plate, clutch in the field. Another video worth checking out, Robin Yount's Hall of Fame induction speech in 1999. When I was a young boy, I used to play baseball in my backyard or in the street with my brothers or the neighborhood kids. We used broken bats and plastic golf balls and played for hours and hours. My favorite team was the San Francisco Giants. And many of those players that were on that team are here today. I'd try to pitch like Juan Marichal or Gaylord Perry and try to hit like Willie Mays, Orlando Cepeda, or Willie McCovey. After those games, when I'd go home at night, oftentimes I'd dream of being a major league player. I was lucky that dream came true. I would dream of hitting a home run in the World Series or playing in an all-star game. I was lucky those dreams came true. What an inspiring story. And one of the all-time greats. The Milwaukee Braves, by the way, played at County Stadium from 1953 to 1965. It was the home of the Brewers from 1970 to 2000 and was demolished in 2001. One quick note, there is a new Lost Ballparks limited edition t-shirt that is yours when you become a patron of Lost Ballparks as either a clubhouse member or box seats member. Box seat members, by the way, get a t-shirt and a limited edition hoodie. Um, And those folks, our patrons, are responsible for bringing this uh, podcast to you commercial free. You can get more details at lostballparks.com. The Lost Ballparks podcast is produced by Kyle Schmidt, Mike Dunn, Xavier Guerra, Briggs Buckingham, and Maddie Zavlakis. Thank you again for listening. Looking forward next week to bringing you another episode of the Lost Ballparks podcast.